You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. We are supported by listeners like you. Donate per month or make a one-time donation through PayPal or Patreon at wearelibertarians.com. Join in on the conversation. Visit the sidebar at wearelibertarians.com and join our Facebook group, meet other listeners, and get our daily news dump. The Boss Hog of Liberty podcast is the latest hit on the We Are Libertarians network. Each week, Jeremiah Morrill and Dakota Davis explore life in Henry County, Indiana. It's a show about our circle of friends, public officials, and our experiences. 80% observation, life, humor, and 20% politics. Boss Hog of Liberty is the day-to-day happenings of Henry County, Indiana, which is just like your community. Add us on iTunes and sample us today. Dear Leader would want you to. Oh, f- the Johnny Rocket Launchpad is Liberty. Each week we strive to bring you the best guests in talk radio. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad delivers weekly interviews of noteworthy politicians, experts, and activists. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad is bringing the party to the Libertarian Party and launching ideas in your direction. Check us out at johnnyrocketlaunchpad.com. You can hear me, Kurt Nelson, and the beautiful Heather Nixon talk about the ideas of liberty rock and roll. Hey guys, this is Roger Paxton, and if you're fed up with the government running every single aspect of your life, but you're not listening to the Lava Flow podcast yet, then what's wrong with you? Check us out at thelavaflow.com, or just go back to sucking up to the government. The Lava Flow podcast, striking the root every single episode. It's time to shake up your podcast feed, folks, by subscribing to Lions of Liberty, the only libertarian variety show out there. Spend Mondays with me, Mark Clare, as I feature in-depth interviews with great names in the libertarian community and fun roundtable discussions. Electric Liberty Land with me, Brian McWilliams, every Wednesday, your weekly dose of comedy, culture, and liberty. And Felony Fridays with me, John Odermatt, where I expose injustice in the broken criminal justice system. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and at lionsofliberty.com. Welcome to We Are Libertarians. I'm your host, Chris Spangle. We bring you all of the irreverence modern politics deserves while putting people before political parties. We examine current events from a libertarian perspective with the goal of leaving you better informed. Please be sure to rate and review us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and subscribe on Patreon at wearelibertarians.com. In exchange for supporting our program, we give you all kinds of bonus content and free stuff. This show is crowdsourced, so you can uh, send us news with the hashtag WALnews. 
or in our Facebook group and Discord channel. We're always taking your questions and comments via email at editor at wearelibertarians.com. Please be warned that this show is raw, unedited, and authentic, though the language is sometimes offensive. I am out of the studio tonight. I am uh, at DK New Media talking with my friend Doug Carr, who I will introduce in just a moment. He leaned into the microphone. <laughs> Say hello, Doug. <laughs> hello, Doug. Hi, <laughs> Doug. Uh, this I have a work holiday party uh, this Thursday night, so we're recording ahead. So you're going to hear me talk to Doug about Facebook and Twitter and those platforms and where they're headed for independent content creators. And uh, after that, you will hear Kara Schultz. She is the candidate recruiter for the National Libertarian Party. And she joined me for about 40 minutes to talk about the uh, challenges and the... She's actually a twice-elected libertarian candidate in her city council. And so she's run for office and she's recruiting uh, 2,000 candidates for the National Libertarian Party. So after we get done talking about uh, social media then please tune into that. And if you don't want to hear us opine about that, then you can forward ahead. But I don't think you should because I've got uh, a, my good friend Doug Carr, who you heard a couple of weeks ago as we talked about, uh, you heard he was in the Navy. Uh, I'm sure, even though we are recording this directly after that podcast, time shifting, I've heard many <laughs> comments about your your comments, Doug, because uh, <laughs> you're, you're, Uh-oh. you're no, no, you're. Fine. Am I making waves? Uh, prob- but that's what we want. We that's want what comments. I like doing. Yes, yeah. we want people commenting. Um, so I mentioned something a couple weeks ago on the show. I- I've got this theory, and and Doug is one of the top digital marketers in the entire country. Somebody that I've looked up to and respected for a long time here in the city of Indianapolis. Somebody that's been a mentor to me in various ways in 2017. You've given me the confidence to really like push ahead with We Are Libertarians, really put myself out there as a podcaster, businessman, which I thank you so much for. Um, That's the ultimate compliment. I, I can't tell you how much that means. Thank you. When, when we met in April and uh, I had talked to a friend, a former host on the show, Lynn Swayze, and she said, you know, you could be making like good money doing what you do because you're really good at it. And I believed her. But it's like your friend, so you don't yeah. know that. But then when you meet somebody that you've you've followed for a long time that you know is well-respected in the industry and said, no, you're really good at this and you know what you're talking about. And like, if you were to ever lose your job, you could immediately start making a lot of money doing this thing. And I went... Or enough, uh, at least. Uh, enough, right? right yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I live simply, okay? Yeah. It's just me and the two cats. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I've and, seen them. Yeah, on they're very cute. Look at the look at this pro. Look at my phone. Look how cute Muffins is. Um, so you know, it's it is. It's it's. You've been an encouragement, uh, an encourager for me to really kind of like push forward and put myself out there as an expert on podcasting because I've done it for almost ten years now. Yeah. And I've built this thing that is reaching tens of thousands of people, bringing in you know a nice little second income for me. You know, it's mostly going right back into the business. But sure. you know, when you when you need a tank of gas, it's nice to have that extra money there. Uh, so I I I can't thank you enough for that. And and I just think that you're an important voice here in Indianapolis. And and so I have this theory about social media. Yep. I hate it, <laughs> and I think that. <laughs> I think that we've kind of gotten to this point because I'm numbered 19 million on Facebook. Like I joined, there's 2 billion people on the platform. I'm number 19 million. 
as soon as it came to my college in 2004 or five, I jumped on it. I yep. got on. I got on Facebook. Uh, I've been an early adopter of every social media platform up until Peach. I didn't do Peach. Yeah. Uh, I have loved social media from the beginning. It is responsible for my career. For those of you who don't know, I started working at a small AM radio station in 2004. I, I learned to market that station with zero budget on social media and help turn Abdul into Abdul here in town because I was doing social media marketing. I then went on to the Libertarian Party and took hundreds of candidates and organizations and used that to help build the political party uh, you know, into a well-respected third party here in Indiana. I mean, they already were, but I helped. Uh, then I went on to uh, that, that skill of using social media and interacting with people and building an audience was the encouragement to start We Are Libertarians in 2012, March of 2012. And to, to say, I no, no, I no longer need to be hired by a radio station to be a political commentator and radio broadcaster. I can start my own thing yeah. and I can build an audience around that. And I've now built an audience of tens of thousands of people. We have thousands of people listening a week. We have tens of thousands of people following online, listening to what, what we're, the gang at We Are Libertarians, what I have to say. So, you know, and now my day job is marketing a nationally syndicated radio show to people online on social media. And I've seen over the course of that, the, the last five years especially, if we wanted to get traffic to the website, you had to use social media. And referral traffic is still mostly Facebook. Yeah, Facebook is incredibly powerful for people, and it became really powerful the last five years. And that is where, and I've noticed over the last five years that marketing dollars are going from radio stations and TV ads and and doing a bunch of things to to put it on Facebook. In fact, we just I, I've been involved with a basically a TV commercial shoot that was done very low budget but looks super professional that is being targeted through Facebook to specific zip codes. Yeah. Like it's an incredibly powerful marketing tool for small businesses, for independent publishers like myself. But I'm concerned because in that time, Facebook specifically, Twitter's garbage. Like, I don't know if you agree, but I think Twitter's a garbage platform that I don't think anybody really uses. Influencers do really well on it, but everybody else... It's garbage. It's like a news feed. Facebook is where I see most people having interactions and to a lesser extent, Instagram and Snapchat. Yeah, I I, I mean, I still love Twitter, but but I, your point is well taken. I mean, uh, Twitter is basically a news feed. You know, right. it's, it's the public bulletin board and I like it. Uh, you know, I, I use it for discovery, you yeah. know, but, but if I'm going to have a conversation with someone, it's typically on Facebook. So... I, over the last year, have Trump fatigue. And I think a lot of other people do too. And I think there's going to be a convergence of events that change these platforms. Because there's no longer the Wild West. We've now settled on Facebook, Google, Apple, and Amazon being the big four as major tech companies that are really going to do, you know, some may rise or fall, but for right now, those are the big four. You know, there's not, it's not like it was 10 years ago where you, you had a MySpace fallout and a Facebook rise and a Friendster and, a, you know, all these other companies. 
And so everybody's putting their eggs into these baskets, into the Facebook basket, especially for people's attention. Facebook started testing something where they are taking pages and putting them on a separate tab, yeah. groups on a separate tab. So what you're going to get is you're going to get a Facebook feed that resembles your Instagram feed, people that you love and respect. And I have a separate Facebook account that's very small with 120 people, yeah. that's friends and family, the people that I talk to on a regular basis, and I want to see their stuff, right? And I love that feed much more than the one that's been around for 15 years <laughs> that likes 10,000 pages, that has 8,000 connections. Like, That's like a fire hose of trash for yeah. the most part. And so I think Facebook is going to try because they're being forced by Congress with the Russian stuff and just by users tuning out to change the algorithm, to change the way that things are set up, to move independent creators off of the platform They'll eventually sign partnerships with major publications like the Washington Post, the New York Times, like they did with their instant articles and Google did with AMP. And the little guy, like I got in at the right time to start a news outlet, right? I got in at the right time. And anybody who wants to start a, a media company, you're kind of a little bit hosed at this point because it's going to be hard to get organic growth like yeah. I got. Like I had organic growth at a time where you could get organic growth for free. Yeah, it's always We're, it's always it's always nice to hit that upshot. Yeah, you know exactly right. But for people coming after, it's gonna you're gonna have to pay for it. But then now, even if you pay for it, you're not gonna be in front of people. Exactly. You're gonna be in front of five percent instead of two percent of right. that of that feat. So, is is my theory correct that moving forward, it's it's going to be hard for independent publishers. They're going to really start to squash independent publishers. For instance, we are libertarians. If I upload a video, monetization is turned off yeah. automatically. If I want monetization turned on, I have to get 1,000 views on a video. We never get 1,000 views. Google and YouTube have already decided that everything that comes out of my mouth is not monetizable. And so it's not a platform where I can even, you can't have the next PewDiePie. You can't right. have some, you can't have the next Joe Rogan because the platforms have already decided we're going to go with a liberal bent and we need to patrol free speech and the yeah. government is going to force us to do it if we don't start doing it. Uh, which is, A, before I throw it to Doug to analyze my analysis, that is why it's really important for you to go to wearelibertarians.com and subscribe to our email list. Oh. I've never been a believer in email lists, but <laughs> holy hell am I now. Yeah. So do, do you think that my theory of the days of organic growth and controlled thought on these platforms are upon us, or am I overreacting? Well, I'll start out with some bad news, and then we'll get to, <laughs> we'll get to good news. Um, you never built an audience on Facebook. You just built Facebook's audience and mm -hmm. were able to reach them. And this, this has been the danger since day one. And, and honestly, from a business perspective, one that we, we always pushed our clients that no matter how, no matter how enticing it was to spend all your time on Facebook, keep bringing them back to your site. What you just said was the money shot. You said, come back and subscribe to, you know, we are libertarians and that's so whenever we're pushing our clients for any messaging, anything that we publish online, we're always pushing them go back and subscribe, go back and subscribe, go back and subscribe because 
when when we have direct contact with our audience through a subscription or a, a phone number, that's our audience. That's not Facebook's audience. You know, between now and then, you're just renting Facebook's audience. Right. That's that's what you're doing. And it, and and so people, you know, for people out there, I, I I screamed when it happened. I I thought it was. I honestly think if 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 um, when what happened? Well, what what happened was when Facebook launched Pages. They enticed every business first to get up a page and then to start building their audience and to start, you know, building community around the audience. And we all spent a lot of money and time on that. Yeah. A lot of money and, and time. And they penalized you if you didn't switch. Yeah. Well, I mean, so so the they took off. You know, we started to get that exposure and we loved it and everything else. But then they turned us off, you know, and they basically said, oh, well, you know, if you want to reach your audience now – now you got to start paying us. I'm not. I'm not sure anywhere in <laughs> anywhere else in commerce that you know doing something like that. It, it would be like someone selling you a plot of land, you know, down the street, and and then um, tearing up the street after they sold you the yeah <laughs> the building. Yeah, they, I mean, I, I mean, it, it really is like you can now only reach realistically five percent of yeah, your likes. Yeah, and so and so it and and that was the. That was the day that it hit me. I, I was like, never again, never again, even with my own stuff. I, yeah. yeah, I'm all over Facebook and all over um, Twitter, and uh, but I am always pushing people back to my site, back to my site, back to my site, back to my site. And and caveat, I know they're a private company; they can do whatever they decide. But we well, can also decide to stop using the product if they if we feel they're being dishonest with us. Yeah, and there, you know, there's a great libertarian argument here. In fact, my my son and I were were talking about it the other night. And, um, you know, that, that, you know, you have free speech, but if AT&T shut off your phone lines, do you have free speech? Mm-hmm. Right. I, I mean, there's a real weird question here. You know, that if you, if Facebook is the 99% medium, you know, from a social media standpoint, and then Facebook cuts off your voice, you know, do they have, do you have free speech? Amazon Web Services powers 48% of the back end of the internet. Yeah. You know, yeah. Google Google is showing you yeah. 2% of the internet, but that's 98% of where you're spending your time. I mean, these, well, but, four, but, but these even, four companies really, I mean, at, at what point do, you, I mean, do you feel like they're at a public utility point yet? I, well, pu- public utility is a, a tough one, but, but I can say like, I think it's Prager University right now that's, suing YouTube, I think. Oh, um, they may be. Yeah. Well, basically what happened was was uh, a bunch of Prager University uh, YouTube videos got marked as far as being, you know, inciting or something like that. And so they weren't allowed to have uh, ad money anymore. Well, ad money was a primary revenue, you know, right. for, for them to continue making videos. I think Prager's actually got a pretty strong case. I'm not an attorney, but you know, Prager basically showed them, okay, well, here's all the other videos that are monetized that oppose our, yeah. <laughs> you know, so equal and opposite. And and Prager's point is that, look, there is truly only one video, you know, hosting social media site. Yeah. I mean, Vimeo doesn't even come close and, and Wix is a paid site and everything else. And And when you, you know, when you have that, you know, kind of monopoly, I think there is an argument there that constitutionally you can really silence people 
and it, you're in a position of power. And so I, I think, you know, the Spider-Man, you know, with pow- great power comes, you know. Yeah, but, it's, 20, but it, it's but 21 it, videos for Prager University titled, Are the Police Racist? Why Don't Feminists Fight for Muslim Women? Who is more pro-choice, Europe or America? Google has since doubled down on its decision to make Prager use videos inaccessible by many of its videos. And then they started the alerts thing, which like PewDiePie was all over at the beginning yeah. where, you know, the subscription tab doesn't really matter anymore. You you have to now go and click alerts and you know trying to drive an audience, a mass audience to go and do something right. takes years and a ton of promotion. And the whole notion of algorithms, I right. mean, really is them if, controlling some of this stuff. Yeah, and and that's the key issue. You know, it's the equivalent of someone stopping you from talking. Right. That's that's I mean, you know, it's it's a you know, sure there's the nuances there to argue about because they're a private company, but a private company can't, you know, put their hand over your mouth and tell you to stop talking mm-hmm. out, outside. And so I think there's a real argument to be had. At the same time, I'm a capitalist, you know, and I look at these and I go, yes, keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. Because I, I honestly feel, you know, you said that, you know, we're, we're down to, you know, these, these main ones, but, you know, crap, I thought MySpace was going to be it. I thought, you know, I right. thought Twitter was going to be it. I thought, you know, and so I really do think there's evolving systems right now that are really taking off. Um, you know, we have, you know, natural language processing is taking off where we might be able to speak and have something read back and everything else. I, I do think there's opportunities in, in innovation that something better will come along. Yeah. And, and Facebook is buying everybody right now that, seems like a threat <laughs> or you know fucking them over like they did snapchat yeah <laughs> they, they yeah. wouldn't snapchat wouldn't sell so they just took their idea and put it on their three A- absolutely and destroyed them but but to me the uh the political one is one that's really dangerous for them and that's that uh, they they don't <laughs> i'm gonna come off sound like such an asshole here but um they need to understand who has the money right <laughs> You know, and and typically, you know, uh, very, very, very wealthy liberals, you know, uh, there's there's that echelon of, you know, upper class liberals. But for the most part, the majority of liberals aren't, you know, uh, multi-billionaires, right. you know. And, uh, and when you get to the conservative side, you're getting to middle of America, big numbers, you know, obviously half the country, you know, uh, but a lot of sway you know, from a, from a money standpoint. And whenever you do that, whenever you piss off a, you know, look at, you know, Sean Hannity didn't even, you know, it didn't even really happen. And, uh, you know, the, was it, was it the coffee makers? Keurig. That, so Keurig yeah. was a sponsor. And so Hannity had on more and basically gave, it wasn't even a softball interview by Hannity no. standards. And then the, all the, like, Here's well, somebody part, like it was media matters, it's media matters. And they have all these no buy lists. Like what, yeah. what you have to understand is that if, uh, and, and we went through this, it, it like when Rush Limbaugh did, said the Sandra Fluke thing called her a slut, anybody associated with premier radio yeah. got a note, got on a no buy list. Right. And there are entire sites dedicated to letting everyone know at right. these ad agencies in Chicago, New York, and LA, surprise, liberal havens in San Francisco, 
like these the, the ad agencies in those towns go and check those websites and they go okay well we're not buying this we're not yeah. buying this this is why you see Fox News with higher ratings you know having shower catheters mats, and catheters yeah. as yeah. opposed to yeah. Chrysler on right. MSNBC because you 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 have these no buy lists and so even a show that is innocuous like a Ryan Seacrest who's syndicated by Premier these ad agencies just started to refuse to buy yeah. Ryan Seacrest because he was syndicated by the same people as Rush Limbaugh. But see, I, I, look, so, I look at that as an awesome thing. Right, because, but it's only the yeah. left does it. And yeah. so when the right, the right is now starting to put it together and get it together because they're, they're just start like there's the daily coast always kind of existed. There was always this trashy left yeah. leftists as Ben Shapiro, Ben Shapiro calls them leftists. The Antifa are leftists and the left are people like the new Republic, the nation magazine, David Korn, whatever yeah. mother Jones. And so, and then, so now you have the right, the weekly standards, the national reviews, and then the trashy alt, right, where you, they're now organizing and you know, whatever they're, for were against yeah. and you know it's right. very it's you see it with the Roy Moore stuff sure and so in radio you just had a crippling of all of these local stations where like Rush Limbaugh was taken off here from you know a 50,000 watt radio station and put onto an AM station uh, uh, right because they just couldn't sell to local advertisers anymore because the databases that Media Matters keeps included local advertisers right. here in every one of his 600 affiliates and so you know, yeah, that's it's uh, it's 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 part partly capitalism, but it sucks. It's it's silencing free speech, and and I hate to see the right start to get into that game. I do too. You know, and it's like this. And it's like when Hannity gives an interview to Roy Moore, just because he gave an interview to Roy Moore, like it's in the public's interest for us to hear what Roy Moore has to say. Yeah. Like it's in the public's interest for there to be balance to what he has to say. And so for Keurig and all these other sponsors to pull their ads, and when they did, the right started, you know, hitting Keurig machines with golf balls. And, yeah. you know, and then it gets conflated into the internet. And even I did it because it was a funny tweet, like, you know, where, you know, 20, 1776, white men pour tea into the harbor for freedom. 2017, white men smash coffee makers for child molesters <laughs> like it was a funny tweet but it is a very simple like the internet simplifies everything down so much well, so we, we talked on the last one that uh, the the word that keeps coming back to me and i wrote about it uh about a week ago on martech on my site was stampede you yeah know? And, and that's that we have these stampedes of running screaming people that they don't look at context they don't investigate they don't they don't take a deeper dive but they just join the herd and keep stampeding and the herd gets huge, you know, and then, and then people are, are trampled under it. But, but my, my point with that though, is that the, the plus side of it to me, and this is just me being honest, is that um, it always comes back to bite them in the ass. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, Kroger, the, the, what what why do I keep saying Kroger? (laughs) Keurig. Um, Keurig, you know, the, the thing with Keurig, uh, that was interesting was they, they actually didn't even have a policy internal on what media to buy and not buy. And it was kind of a mistake. Mm. And so Sean Hannity, I think gave away for like 500 machines on his show <laughs> the other, the other day or something. But, uh, but again, Keurig immediately noticed, holy shit. Yeah. We are in trouble. I mean, you think about 
you know, I don't know what Sean Hannity's reach is, you know, but let's, let's say it was a, a, a million people that got rid of their Keurigs. Um, Hannity's radio reach is probably two to 4 million people. Yeah. But let's say, let's say a 1% of that. Yeah. And, and, and you figure Keurig has every coffee pod you put in is licensed by Keurig, mm-hmm. whether it's a third party or not. I mean, there's a, that's a shitload of money to just take an instant hit on. In one quarter. And yeah. Yeah. And so, and you got to explain that to your stockholders. Pre-Christmas. And, and, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, now I did notice, uh, I forget the other coffee maker company, but they have been rolling out the ads. <laughs> and I was like, good for them. Yeah. You know, hell yeah. Take some market share on this. Um, but to get back to my point, like I, I keep going, keep going. Like pain is when things change, mm-hmm. you know? And so what, what Facebook has done to this point hasn't been that painful, but it's going to get there. You know, when people see that it's totally filtered, that they're being fed, you know, just whatever propaganda that that that, that Facebook's people approve, you know, and, and Google's doing the same thing, that's when change, that's when competitors have a, a unique opportunity to snag some market share if they're intelligent. Like, you know, I'm not a Microsoft guy, I'm a Mac guy, but but I would love to see Bing just all of a sudden, if Google, something really bad happened with Google, and Bing caught 20% of market share, it would be fantastic because yeah. uh, 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 it would cause an avalanche of other things to happen. Yeah. You know, ad rates would drop and, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, um, you know, your, your ability to reach more people with less money would increase, which would increase your marketing results, which would increase your business results, which could grow your businesses, you know, faster. And so I, I, I'm one of these guys that I can't stand this ridiculous bubble that these tech companies are in, you know, uh, you know, most of them are sitting in San Francisco, which has the hugest, you know, disparity of poverty and wealth has, uh, the hugest amount of homeless people, um, the, the most ridiculous housing rates that nobody can afford. Um, and they want us to think that they're the people that, you know, understand how the country should be run. And, uh, and it's these, you know, white guilt tech leaders yeah. you know, that live in their mansions that are starting to apply this pressure on their own people to, you know, to, to think a specific way, but, uh, it's starting to crumble. The, the guy that got, um, fired from Google um, James Darimore. I'm so glad you were the perfect co-host. <laughs> I, I, you know? I, yeah. Uh, I, listen, what you have to understand. I called Doug, you a co-host. Did you like that? Yeah. yeah um, you're but you're like the, the perfect host because you know all of the facts. I need. I need um, a new offensive co-host. Yeah. So <laughs> I. No, I literally just don't have a life. So yeah. I just read all this stuff all the time, and like I do. I I've started posting all of my reading material, watch the videos I watch, all yeah. of the show prep that I do at wearelibertarians.com. So it's become almost my, oh, own personal, awesome. my own personal Tumblr. And I don't know if you're familiar with a guy named Michael Hyatt. He built this yeah. this uh, Get Noticed theme that allows me to post things, these mini posts in a very easy way. Nice. And so I'm able to really pump my content out there independently. Yeah. Uh, and frankly, it's I'm gonna turn on comments there yeah. because I, I wanna have a community there. Well, as make, a, make people subscribe know. to log in. Yeah. Good point. So, (laughs) but, but going back, I I read a fascinating article the other day that Google has been doing a number of forums internal 
uh, with employees. And, uh, and it's, this is far from over. Like the, there is absolute fear in internally. And the, and the problem is, is that some of the engineers that are in there that are still continuing to say, this is really messed up Mm -hmm. are saying that productivity is, is slowing down at Google. And so it's not just having a debilitating effect from a cultural standpoint, it's really having an impact on their overall productivity. I mean, if you, the, the fact is, is that there's smart people on the left and there's smart people on the right. If you throw out half the smart people, you're losing half your smart people. Yeah. And like what, and I, <laughs> you just, know? to recap, like James Daremore wrote this internal memo at Google basically saying, like, the culture of diversity sucks here. Like, you're just trying to do, encouraged like it it really got into hot water with women in tech yeah and his point was that men are inherently more analytical than women and women are more inherently caretakers and that's why you see it's like the 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 wage gap argument you know the reason there's a 70 percent difference in pay or the you know that women get 70 percent of what men get is that women drop out of the workforce more often to raise kids they're in lower paying jobs like social work or teachers. But you know, in tech, nursing. they're paid more, right? Are they? Yes. No, I don't know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so. so you mean you slice the data the way that you want to feed your bias. Exactly you know? right. And so it's not that. I'm sure there are absolutely examples where women, like women in the workplace, are consistently talked over. Yeah. They're not listened to. Their ideas are not validated until a man says they're that right. way. I mean, we've both we both have worked in professional environments where we know that to be true. Absolutely, like the sexual harassment, lynching stuff. Like, there there really is a very like pendulum swinging back, saying, you know what? It's like you're gonna respect us, or or we're going to like it. What what these guys are doing is wrong. Like Al Franken shouldn't be feeling up women. Yeah. Kevin's you know Kevin Spacey's different. Like Harvey Weinstein's probably the best example. You should not use your power to lord over manipulate and manipulate like other people are not your property so so i understand it but what james darimore said was basically like we don't necessarily have a problem you're trying to create solutions for a problem that may not exist in the first place well i always tell people that the the interesting thing on that whole argument is that differences uh and i this is the quote that i can't remember where i read it but i just it always comes back to mind is that differences aren't deficits. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's a really fascinating thing that women do that, that are, that are and not, not all women, but women that are, are really climbing on board, you know, the gender, you know, that the women are treated unfairly trained is they're doing it by comparing themselves to men. <laughs> mm. And I find that so ironic that, Okay, you're you're saying that you're not successful by comparing yourself to a man, like like isn't that inherently a a, a three sixty argument that doesn't work? Yeah. Especially when women right now graduate college more often than men, they live longer. I, yeah, yeah. I mean, ninety eight percent of deaths in the workplace are men. You know, right. I mean, that's but, the other part for the wage gap. Yeah. But the but the other but the thing there that I think is just weird is that. What you, it's comparing apples and oranges. You know that you can't compare your success to um, a man to say that you're successful. Mm-hmm. You can be successful as a woman, and just be successful. Right. You know it doesn't have to be compared to a man. And so differences. I love the differences aren't deficits. The fact that a woman is, 
you know, over millions of years has become a better caretaker to him than a man on average, you know, is not a deficit. Sure. That should be used as an advantage. And any, any good business person, I mean, the stats are there as well that, you know, women-owned businesses actually profit better than men, especially on startups and stuff like that, because they don't go make these bulldog decisions and force everybody to right. kind of run their direction. They are more collaborative and everything. And so the, 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 the fascinating thing is that, you know, if you're a good business person, the last thing that you want is a room full of men running your company anyways. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's a terrifying. Diversity, diversity is inherently good, but not at yeah. the cost of, like, there's a great book that I just read called Manning Up by Kay Heimowitz. And she basically argues that the 90s girl power movement where all these brands and schools and institutions and government and Title IX and all these things, these the, as they tried to level the playing field for, Always. for women, yeah. what it did is it put men into delayed adolescence. Yeah. And that's why you have so many guys who uh, she's taken heat and as I have taken heat, you know, like, I don't think there's anything wrong with video games, but I do think that it's everything is balanced where I've joke jokingly said like that slacker dude that just like hangs out and he yeah. goes to work and he's a bartender and he comes home and he plays video games and he watches football. He goes to sleep. He goes to work, football, video games, yeah. sleep. Like that's not an existence where you're actually doing anything for the world. You're not actually adding anything to the world. Like you're not contributing to society. Right. And there's way too many of those guys. Yeah. And you know, I'm going out tomorrow night with a girl who who said like, "That's all that's out there," and I've been ghosted three times. Like, this is an attractive, intelligent, 24 year old single mom who has like a lot of things really going well. Like, she's a catch. Yeah. You know, and like guys out there are just like cowards. Like, I, I don't. I, not all guys. Okay, I'm not saying all. Don't use your flat thinking on me. Like. <laughs> But there's a certain percentage, and I think those of us, like, it, man, if you heard George on that podcast, like, that's a man. Like, there's, yeah, like, that's I, a guy that just goes out there, takes life by You're talking about a 49-year-old single guy that's just has a rock star. Well, we're, heart. But, we're, we're messes. We're not, well, like, George is a man. We're well, the, messes. The, the, the thing but, is, is I, you know, there's a, there's a side of me, and this will piss the women off, you know, that, um you know, if you wanted a great guy with a great business that his kids are gone and, and left and you just want to grow old together with him and he's, uh, he'll kill for you. He's an, you know, a great, great caretaker, awesome beard. That's Doug Carr. Right. Right. You know, but the fact is, is that, you know, I got a keg, not a six pack, you know, and, <laughs> and, and, uh, so I'm, you know, I'm fat and I work a lot of hours and everything else. And so, um, yeah, the, the, you know, the dick at the gym that's looking at himself in the mirror, you know, every five seconds, um, you know, you're going to go home and cry and ask yourself, like, why, why is every guy an asshole while there's guys like me, you know, sitting sure. out there that would, would that, and, and that's, I'm not feeling far, sorry for myself. I'm, I'm more saying, you know, Hey, if you keep going out with dickheads, maybe it's not the dickheads that's, that are the problems. Sure. Yeah. So I, I, so where did we go with this? I, I, anyways, I'm, I'm bringing are we in a rabbit now. trail. We are so far down the rabbit hole. You and I are ADD. <laughs> as hell and it's not good uh but no like circling back like elaine powell condé nast felt that reddit needed to be censored because they were having some problem with revenge porn and so they brought in the ceo elaine powell and elaine powell you know prides herself on she's running for congress right now 
She just wrote a book. Like she brought in a lot of quote unquote diversity, very liberal, very feminist. Yeah. And fundamentally didn't understand the audience of her platform. (laughs) (laughs) And the, she is as responsible as anyone for the alt-right. Yeah. Because what she did is she took a platform of dudes hanging out, talking to each other, told them, well, you're not welcome here. They went to 4chan. They created Pepe. Yeah. And then they right. then they made then they shit posted Donald Trump into the White House. Right. And so this false notion of we need to create diversity on these platforms because they live in their own little tech bubble and and they've kind of created their own misery because their Facebook feeds and their Twitter feeds are now algorithm to only show them what they like. Like they they have unknowingly unleashed the very thing that they hate. And it and it's well, it's yeah, really kind of an interesting thing to watch. You know, if you don't want to, you know, if you don't want to see the monsters that are hiding in dark spots, don't shine a light at them. Yeah. You know, like because we were talking in, you know, on a previous podcast that I think people are inherently good. Um, but every, every person has a measure of darkness to them, you know, and it's scale, you know, but we don't ever want to scale when we look at someone, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to say whether we don't want to say Al Franken's a, a, a 90%, probably a good guy that cares about the people around him or whatever. You know, we just want to say, no, he's either an asshole or he's, you know, a, a, a god. Editors note: We only know of one woman. So, like in the future, if like <laughs> seventy-five women have come out, and he's the new Cosby. Yeah. Just know that we recorded well, this on I, the day that those I, allegations. I think came I, out. I think the first time I I think the first time I saw it was on the opposite end. It was with you know with uh, President Obama. Uh-huh. You know, I saw all these people just worshiping this guy, and I'm standing there going, "He's a guy. Right? Like, he's a dude. You know, he went to kind of kind of had a pretty awesome life." You know, got to travel the world and went to Ivy League, went to prep schools and Ivy League, and I'm like, damn, that, that's a nice, nice thing. And, yeah. And and I, it was the first time that I started to see, you know, and and I could wax poetic about this too, but where people started worshiping people, you know, mm-hmm. and at the same time started hating people, like yeah. heaven and earth all of a sudden found its way into, you know, uh, social media. And that there was either people that were demons and devils and they deserve to literally die. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I mean, you read some of the comments online and it's pretty horrifying. You get about 10 comments down and someone will be calling for a death, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and the, and I, and I'm glad they got shot and I'm glad like, holy shit. You man. realize you really do see when you look at the fire hose of humanity, like the people that yeah. were hanging out, watching a hanging yeah, uh, in 1850 or yeah, exactly. You know, we're we're you know, like there's a story of the of the Mongolians during the 1200s that this town wouldn't submit to them. So when they finally submitted, what they did is they f- dug a pit. They made these people dig a pit. They put the townspeople in it. They put planks of wood over it, and then like made it so they were incapacitated, basically. And then all the Mongolians, the hordes, walked up and sat down on the planks and yeah. had dinner as people were dying underneath them, yeah. like just enjoying themselves, fun, frivolity. Like that's that to me is a level of human depravity and lack of respect for human life. That's hard for us as individuals to comprehend, but that's 
in every one of us. It, it, and, it is. Know? And, and, and when you get to online, like uh, I'll, I'll give another one, you know, that, um, I think it was, it was either Facebook or somebody, somebody was saying that the government had to get involved because of the amount of terrorist communication online, mm. you know, that basically that they were able to get these messages out. And, and if, if, if not through the web, you know, that somehow terrorism would disappear, I guess. Right. But, but the, the thing that I look at it and I go, uh, you know, the constitution was pretty clear about not inhibiting people and making it a lot tougher to find people guilty, mm. you know, than, than the opposite. And they, they knew the, you know, the founding fathers even said, yeah, it's going to be at the expense of the death of people, you yeah. know, that guilty people will go free and everything. And I, and I always look at those things and I just go, when you manipulate them, you're, you're, you're touching an experiment and not getting a true result. Like, if you're hiding all of the terrorist activity, how do you find the terrorists and how do you, how do you, how do you yeah. track them down? If you, if you hide all the racists from online, how do you know when people are racist? Well, yeah, it's I, like when, <laughs> when we put white, when we talk about white culture, on yeah. we are libertarian, they just see libertarian white, they, they don't listen to the content. Right. They just lump us in with Richard Spencer because right. we just must be Richard Spencer if we're libertarian, moderately right. Like, there's nobody at YouTube that's actually listening to anything that we're saying. Right. There's no. Again, we talked about context and intent. You know, those those things are lost. And so, yeah, I'm a big fan of leaving things alone. Yeah. You know, and letting them self destruct. And so, to go back to all the way, you know, back to the beginning to take a Facebook. Every time Facebook does this, I, I kind of cheer a little bit inside. And it's that, you know, that keep going, keep yep. going, guys. You're, you're, they're trying to push it, and they're going to push it as far as they possibly can. But the problem is that a lot of times you just can't come back from that. You yeah. know, you can't, you, 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 <laughs> once you go over the edge and, and the audience leaves and the money leaves, trying to get it back is impossible nowadays. Yeah. That's, that's the lesson of, you know, the, you know, the stampede is, you know, once, once Facebook gets on everybody's bad side, there's no, there's no coming back. Stop from that. wasting your money on advertising. If you, if you listen to the show and you love the show and you have a business that would appeal to libertarians, stop wasting your money on Facebook ads. Yeah. Spend it with me. Be, well, that's, I, I say that self-servingly, but like, we're going to. I'm. You're going to get a direct partner with a <laughs> with an engaged audience. Yeah. And you're not going to get censored. Well, there's a real, and that's you know within the industry that's influencer marketing, right? Yeah. And influencer marketing is um, advocacy and and influencer marketing get better results than any other type of advertising. It's just that they're difficult, right? Right. That's Facebook ads is just easy. I get to select, 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 put in a budget and go. Right. Well, to go find every Chris Bangle that, you know, with, you know, to get to 5 million people, you know, that's tough, you know, and, and then writing checks to each one of them. But the, the problem that people are missing is that the return on investment is much greater because you're, you're going to care whether they're getting results or not because your livelihood depends on it. Yeah. Facebook doesn't care whether you got results or, or didn't get, re in fact, in fact, there's this great thing. Uh, people should look it up. Honestly, if you're doing Facebook ads and you go to the demographic selections and there's a thing called, I forget, it's called audience, audience edition or audience extension, or I don't think I'm wording it right, but it's audience something. 
and uh, it's clicked automatically. Now this is in a hidden, you, you literally have to enter, you know, the demographic, you know, uh, and behavioral data um, to find this checkbox, but it's, it's hidden. And so once you uncover all the demographic and behavioral options on Facebook ads, you'll see way down at the bottom, there's like audience extension or, or something like that. I, ugh, I'm, I can't remember the name, but anyways, what that is, is Facebook sells your ad to third parties when mm -hmm. they don't have enough places to cover it. <clears throat> and what, what advertisers find over and over and over again is that when they uncheck that button, they get much higher click-through rates. Are you talking about the audience? The uh, there's, there's Facebook. You can advertise on Facebook. You can advertise on Instagram. And then they have their advertising network, their display network. It, it is their, it, 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 no, it is a, it's a third, it's basically Facebook. No, it's not a selection. It's, it's literally Facebook has an audience. I'm going to look it up. Yeah, like boosting your, if you hit that boost post, for instance, that's a waste of your money. What you need to do is wait three days and then go back and boost it in the back end of the business manager because what they're doing is they're just trying to get get your money by hitting having you hit boost boost well, post. Well, that's what this is. I mean, basically, it's a it's a network of advertisers that they can sell your ads to mm -hmm. when they don't have enough space to sell it. And the problem is, is that it doesn't have the targeting and the communication and the buy-in that Facebook people uh. have. And so what advertisers find is whenever they have that box checked, they lose half their money. Well, wow. well guess what? Did Facebook care? No. no, they have it defaulted on. They, they, they literally have it defaulted on. I'm, I'm having know? a problem right now. Uh, my good friend Rupert Bonham, uh, Rupert from Survivor. He and there I, it is, Face, Facebook Audience Network. Okay, yeah. So it's, it's you know, and they, they advertise it. Introducing Facebook's Audience Network. Today, we're announcing an expanded test of Facebook's audience network, a new way for advertisers to extend their campaigns beyond Facebook and into other mobile apps. The power of Facebook ads off Facebook. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> you know, a guy like me wrote that copy. <laughs> so, so Rupert got locked out of his Twitter. And uh, actually, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was somebody who was associated with the show that did it with malintent. Mm-hmm. And so Rupert can't get into his Twitter account and you know, it's essential to help promote his charity. Yeah. But like we've spent three days trying to find somebody at Twitter to get a hold of. There's yeah. no way right. you don't, you don't know how to get a hold of anybody. Like right. it's, so do you think that the future of advertising really is that small mom and pop? We're going to, in so many ways, the media, the advertiser, the marketing dollars, the news gathering, it's all, it's all heading back towards that more mom and pop. I, I do. I, I mean, uh, what we work with a lot with our clients is still on organic, you know, that when we develop, you know, really premium content for people, including like podcasts, um, we tend to get highly relevant, engaged people with intent. You know, the, the fact is, is that I don't, I don't care what, if you're selling cars in town, people aren't going to Facebook to buy a car, right? They're just not, but they're going to Google, you know, to search mm -hmm. for, to buy a car. And so, so, you know, Facebook is often, you know, we promote content on Facebook to drive people back to the site where then we can convert them, right. you know, into a subscriber or, or to purchase, make a purchase. Um, but the, the, the purchase intent isn't really on Facebook most of the time. And so it's, um, and people are finding that. I mean, uh, 
within the industry, I think the the funny part, it's maybe not that funny, is you know, I have a lot of my friends that were social media managers a couple of years ago that are now out of a job, mm. you know, and a lot of companies have said, you know what, no, I'm, I'm going to take my social media team and I'm going to put them back into my customer experience team and work on retention and work on, I'd much rather have this person working on customer happiness, which I know has a great return on investment than tweeting and, and throwing out Facebook updates that 5% of that nobody cares. That like no, nobody sees. If, if you're if you're tied, yeah, like I couldn't imagine being like the social media person for Tide. Right, because like, the <laughs> expectations are greater, 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 greater. And what's you know? the what? What do I care about Tide? What Tide says? Yeah. But Facebook is happy to take their money to Absolutely. say nonsense. That's where like a Wendy's stands out, where you have just this one smart, oh, snarky yes. person, you know, fighting but with everybody in right? a fun way. But that's the power of premier content. Like right. that's the power is that you, you have to truly be exceptional. Yeah. And, and so that's hard. And so people go, that doesn't work. I'm just going to buy ads. Hub, HubSpot announced at a, at a event recently that, you know, they, they didn't say they were throwing in the towel, but they said inbound is basically not going to happen unless you have, unless you're buying ads hmm. or paying for, you know, Facebook you know, or whatever. Right, because Facebook turned it well, off. Well, guess what? It's because HubSpot's content wasn't that good. As mm -hmm. a marketer, I do not go read a 25-year-old account manager's article on HubSpot to get inspiration for my, <laughs> you know, I don't, you right. know. And so, and so, uh, and I, look, HubSpot's a good company and they're making a lot of changes and everything else, but the fact is that they were the Walmart of content. Right. You know, they were just pumping out so much crap. And you go to uh, an article there right now, and I guarantee it's really lightweight. And there's mm -hmm. like, ugh, you know, whereas you go to, you know, some experts article, go to a Mark Schaefer, or, uh, Dennis Yu is a good guy for Facebook. You know, Dennis writes these really verbose, long winded, you know, screenshots showing every aspect of the testing that he's done and everything else. And guess what? Dennis, you does pretty good selling why, workshops. Why you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and so and so and so that's the thing is we went through this phase of well everybody's got to do content so three blog posts a week and right. and and it was all crap. It's it's like radio, right? Mm -hmm. Who won on radio? The the it, people with the best content won. Right. Like the idea of PR newswire is a great idea. We yeah. put your press release out there, but now it's just an SEO farm. It's, I mean it's not even that. Yeah. yeah. So how does how does a Dennis U or uh, how does a Dennis U get discovered? How does a Chris Spangle or a Doug Carr or or the next political commentator or or industry expert get discovered? in a post-social media world. Well, I mean, I'll give a good, a, a great book for that is uh, Mark Schaefer wrote Known, K-N-O-W-N, and, uh, and he basically has kind of a play-by-play -play of, you know, how do you get there? The thing is, is it, it doesn't, you know, I, I don't I don't know that I got, um, I was early on board definitely, you know, and so I got a good Twitter following and a good Facebook following. But I really think that my following ramped up mostly from writing great articles. And then I got known locally before I got known nationally. Mm. You know, I went and spoke at events. Like I, I was arguing with a guy, a young guy, you know, that says that he doesn't get invited to speak anywhere, you know. 
And I was like, invited? Like, holy crap. I was like, I could call, I could look up 20 events in town in the next week and they would be begging for <laughs> anybody to show up and speak to right. them. You know, like I, you can, <laughs> and I'm serious. Like, you know, uh, any, any club, any, you know, um, I, I, I spoke at the National Speakers Association. I'm not part of the National Speakers Association. <laughs> They're just <laughs> <You know? laughs> that desperate. That's what he's saying. Yeah, yeah but people really want a different, you know, and I kept doing that and doing that and doing that and until I got good, right? right. I mean, I was not good. I, my, I, I was a terrible public speaker when I first started. And I just kept doing it and doing it and doing it. And I guess I just was pigheaded by that age where I wasn't going to let anybody tell me I couldn't, yeah. you know, and I just kept going and going and going. And I, I, you have to differentiate yourself. And I mean, your history is so unique mm -hmm. that I, I, I don't think there's a, 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 a twin to Chris Spangle, <laughs> you know, in, in this universe. And so, and that's always the tough one is what's unique about, you know, what, right. what, what is unique about you that, that other people don't have, you know, you talked about the audience you built, but you, you went beyond that. Audiences aren't that hard to build. Um, that's just people listening and, you know, stuff like that. But the hardest part is building a community of people that actually interact with you. I'd say that you're, you know, I have a huge audience. Um, I don't know that it's, let's say it's equal to yours, mm -hmm. but my community is terrible. I, I do not have interaction with the people that I, that I've attracted at all. And so I'm in awe of your talent there that you really get people engaged and talking with each other and going to, you know, events and everything else. I just don't have that. And so I'm a student, you know, when it comes to that, but none of this has ever stopped me. Yeah. You know, I, I think people, people tend to want to ask permission or to get recognized and they shouldn't, they shouldn't wait. You know, I, I tell people just plant your flag. I got an argument a long time ago with people that it was over the term expert. And it was when Malcolm Gladwell came, came out with this book and said, an expert has spent 10,000 hours. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I was like, that's such horse shit. You know? <laughs> and, and I, and everybody was like, well, anybody that calls himself an expert is an idiot. And I said, you know what? Are you looking for an expert? Can I help you? If I can help you, yeah, I'm an expert. Yeah. Like, that's the thing, right? Yeah, you give, and you, you taught me that. Like, like what, can you get paid to teach people how to podcast? Yeah. Yeah. Then you're an expert yeah. in podcasting. Like, I was like, what? I am? Yeah. You're yeah. like, hey, dumbass. But, but people, people naturally want to be recognized right. before they know go plant the flag and maybe you, maybe you die and, and, and you just get slaughtered out there. But the fact is, is that the, it's the people that are audacious enough to put themselves in front of the crowd and to go say they can do something are the ones that, you know, that get the opportunity. And, um, what was it Scott McCorkle at, at exact target when, um, you know, this is right, right about when I left Exact Target, but they, he was telling me they, they had five RFPs in with these massive companies, Bank of America and some other ones. Um, and um, they said that basically if they had gotten, I think, two or three, it would have been so painful for the company. Like mm. it would really would have put them on their knees as far as what they had to deliver when they had to deliver it. They won all five. Wow. Oh, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, Exact Target was an email service that's now owned by Salesforce, yeah. 
which now owns the biggest building in the city. Yeah. And so, and Scott McCorkle's point was they didn't know if they could do any of them. Mm. They didn't. And he goes, you, you have to be willing. He said this at an event. He said, you have to be willing to get your nose bloody. Yeah. Like you have to be willing to fail there, to see what you're truly worth. It, it, and it's so true. Like it, the Ray Kroc story founder uh, was a love, great movie. Love that movie. Oh, yeah, there's, it's like, it's, you partly hate him, but you also love him at the same time. Yeah, like, exactly. Um, and I think part of what has, like, I don't have a college degree. I, I dropped out of college. Yeah, I was I a history too. major. Yeah. I mean, I, but I think part of, you know, and then I've had this great, like I've had every dream job I've ever wanted to have and I'm 34 years old and it's just because I never stopped grinding. Like it literally is that insecurity of not having a college degree and the, the, it's not like I know when I, I know that I'm being annoying and I know, like I know social norms and I know when to like, when I'm walking past, I'm like, you shouldn't like add every person you've ever met onto your Facebook account. But I did. Yeah. And so now then I ended up with 5,000 friends, you know, I, I, I just like building a community. It was like, you know, what would be a good idea is how about I set up a Facebook group and start inviting all my libertarian friends into it, get a bunch of people in there. I know I'm annoying my friends, yeah. but like you have to do things along the way that, you know, are going to be somewhat annoying or maybe out I don't, of, I don't out even of, know that we knew they were annoying. You know, I, I always right. tell people that given Facebook's age and everything and Twitter and, and uh, we're still in the wild west of sure. what social you know, is going to do to us mentally and behaviorally and everything else online. When people say, I, I hate it when people are like, I'm, I, there's a guy, there's a guy, I swear to God, I, he retweets. I, I think it's almost every day. And it's a tweet that I did like seven years ago, you know, <laughs> and it was like, no rules, try things, you know, something like that. And he literally like, to this day, I, I go and see who mentioned me and there it is again, yeah. you know? And, uh, and, but the thing was, was like, who makes these rules? I, I, I think it's a lot of people that don't want you to succeed that exactly that right. put these fake constraints out there that well you, yeah, well, I saw that you wanted to do this. I, I tell my clients all the time, let's try it. Let's yeah. try it. Let's try it. And, and, um, and then we'll find out whether it worked or didn't work. Yeah. But, like it, for me, starting the podcast was who am I to be a political expert? Well, you've been in politics for 10 years, yeah. like, and you've worked at, in the Republicans and the Libertarians and at the Libertarians at the high level. You've worked with hundreds of people. Like, who says you're not an expert? But, who but, says you're not a political commentator? Your vote is worth the same as anybody else's. So, it's exactly, so you who, know. who the hell is the right to say, well, I'm going to pay attention to that guy? You know, let's... Let's pay attention to the pollsters and the analysts <laughs> that you know that that said that Hillary was going to win. You well, know? <laughs> and it's it's just it's the audacity of of like, all right, well, you know, I have experience, and that experience, I think, I have a unique point of view, and I want to tell. And and then there's the audacity of like just having your friends on. Yeah, like who says? And you just try stuff, and then you figure out like, wow, Greg Lenz is like a brilliant political thinker. Yeah. You know, like it, you, you have a brilliant point of view that is totally unique in somebody like James Neese. Yeah. You have uh, a crazy person like Maya Axton that nobody ever listens to. And you see the world in completely different ways as a result of those conversations. Like, 
I think if you're out there listening, you really just you just got to try stuff. Like the insecurity, I still feel it to this day. It doesn't matter how many listeners we have. It doesn't matter if, you know, like let's say 20 years down the road, I'm hosting a show on CNN. Like I will still feel like an imposter. I will still feel like somebody at some point is going to figure out that like I am not an expert. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just a phony. Like I think everybody goes through that. Everybody. You just, you just got to do it, man. You just got to like, I, if you're pa- not even political commentating or podcasting or whatever I've been into, like starting a, a, a garage door repair business or becoming the best locksmith in the world. Like for me, my mentality completely shifted last December when I watched this documentary called Jiro Loves Sushi. I saw that. J-I-R-O. Yeah. And I was sitting in my fat ass and in, in, had had pizza like four days in a row from Jack's, which is great. Not like the crappy Jack's, but like a local pizza chain, Jack's Pizza down by us. I've not had it. Oh, dude. Yeah. They, put the, they put the toppings under the cheese and they pile on so many toppings. So good. But I was just laying there like a beached whale in front of my fire watching Hitler documentaries. And I watched... And I just felt like garbage and I'd fallen off my health path and I had like just was I wasn't achieving what I I'd had a bad review. This at sounds work. like me every Saturday. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Still, I have to have a pep talk on Sunday nights. Trust me, Doug. And I, I watched this Jiro Love Sushi documentary and it's about this old guy in Japan who makes the world's best sushi yeah. and he's obsessed with it. And he's obsessed with making the world's best sushi. And he has never done achieving the world's perfect sushi. And then I watched this documentary about a guy named C.T. Fletcher, which yeah, is I called My Magnificent too. Obsession. Yes. C.T. Fletcher is the, the alpha male inside every man's head. Yes. He's amazing. And he's like, you know what? If I die, he's like, I have a heart condition. And if I die in the gym doing bicep curls and I've died doing my obsession, my life is complete. Yeah. yeah. And uh, like watching those two back to back, it just, it made me go, what, what am I passionate about? What do I care about? What do I want to wake up and, and do every day? And what do I want to put into the world? And like right now, what I'm putting into the world is me sitting here doing nothing. Me half-assed doing a podcast, half-assed doing a job, half-assed doing personal relationships, half-assed being a member of a family. Like you just want to be a bum your whole life. And I'm not by any stretch of the imagination. I think other people look at me and go, you're not a bum, yeah. but I'm, 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 there's times I'm a bum, yeah. you know? And, uh, I, and I just like that documentary just inspired me. And so like, the, the only thing I would say to double that, down, maybe, I mean, the only thing that, that I would say to that is that you are poking around and trying a lot of things. Like I think that the, the, the people that frustrate me the most are the ones that, um, they, they, they don't want to fail. And so they plan for the rest of their lives. Yes. And, and, and the thing is, is you don't, I, it's stupid. You know, I freaking love the rock, you know, I mean, oh, yeah. the guy's hilarious, but he was, uh, he did a video from, you know, standing in, he was standing on a patio in Vancouver, British Columbia. And, uh, and he was saying that, you know, he played down there for the BC lions I th- or no, he played for like Saskatchewan or something. And, and, but he was, he was at BC lions place. He played one game in the CFL. And he was cut. Mm-hmm. And his dream for the NFL that he worked for his entire life had just gone out the window, which opened up his opportunity to go wrestle, which is what his dad did, and now became you know a movie star and everything else. Yeah. And, and so he he said he said something like you know sometimes 
sometimes your biggest failure is the is the very thing you need to succeed, you know, or something like that. And I, I love that because I, that's that's the way I look at it is I, I that's why I tell people try, 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 try. Yeah. Who am I to say no? You know, people come to me and they say, do you think I should do this? And I'm like, try. Right. Like, just go. Like we don't. It's funny. These um, I was t- I, I used to tell um, Jen, who was my uh, who started her own agency. So I'm forever proud. I, I don't know whether it was out of, you know, my abuse or out of my, you know. <laughs> sexual uh, or physical. Or... <laughs> no, no, sexual, <laughs> you know. But, but, uh, but, you know, I used to tell Jen all, all the time to, you know, really be careful of the stories that in your head. Like we would get on a, a phone call with a client, you know, and I'd say, you know, we have to up our rates with them. And she'd be like, oh, I don't think they're going to pay that. And I'd say, what, what, why did you say that? Like what precipitated that? message to flash through your head you know and most of the time and and i'm not picking on her uh it's us like Mm -hmm. most of the time we paint these pictures in our head that are totally false they're literally a vision yeah that will never happen like the fact is is let's say you let's say you did quit it all tomorrow you start and you crash and burn are you going to be on a park bench in a month no no you're gonna, you're yeah. gonna move on to the next thing but for some reason our brains tell us you're going to be on a fucking park bench you loser right yeah no and i think <laughs> you know? and other people don't see all the stuff that goes on in our head so like <laughs> yes. they're mystified i'm mystified sometimes when i meet <sighs> talented people and they're just like nobody'd ever take me seriously i'd never do you know yeah. i'm like do you you don't see yourself the way that i see you well but you know and, and you have to you have to like double down and go oh maybe i'm doing the same thing let's 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 take a loop all the way back to social media you know that i i think for one thing that i have done well in the past 10 years is i've really shared my pain with other people like like i don't think there's a lot of people that follow me online that haven't seen me go through some really big ups and downs mm-hmm. you know both weight loss, weight gain, my dad passing away, my business in 2012. Being on We Are Libertarians. You know, <laughs> that was awesome. And, uh, and, 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 uh, and the thing is, is uh, it was another one where people were like, oh, you're a marketer. Like you, you should always have the, you know, picture of a great steak and a five-star, you know, right. <laughs> hotel room and where you're traveling to next. And I'm just like, ugh. Like I want other people to know this is this has been a struggle and it's yeah. but it's been worth it you know i i saw uh, i was just reading a book yesterday or something but uh, it was basically that um entrepreneurs over employees it was entrepreneurs almost always make less money than employees and are always happier mm. so <laughs> like that's a pretty fascinating thing yeah. and i tell people when i look back I had probably, you know, uh, ex- uh, you know, DK has been around for, uh, coming up on 11 years now. I had like two years that I got paid more than what I got paid, you know, like when I was running com- at Compendium, you know, the rest of them were way lower, right. you know, but I'm happy. And, yeah. and the, you know, there are some ups and downs with businesses that, yeah, you got the tax bullshit and everything else, but you know, sometimes you do have $25,000 in the bank that, you know, you can go out and go get something, go on right. vacation, go do whatever. Well, 
if you're an employee, maybe you got that same 25,000, but you got it spread over, you know, six months, mm-hmm. you know, that was the difference between us, you know? And so I, I just, I just think, um, again, the fake stories that people put in their head and then the fake stories that social media puts in people's heads, you know, we have people, uh, you know, you'll see someone's, um, you know, there's a terribly sad thing, but a friend of my, uh, well, my daughter's friend's sister, I I don't know exactly what happened. I think it might have been overdosed. Um, I'm not quite sure. Um, but I read her, you know, I'm reading her threads in Facebook, like morbid thing to do. You know, but I, I was like, do I remember her? You know, was she over yeah. at the house? Everything else. And I'm reading her threads and it's happy, 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 happy. This person was not a happy person. Yeah. Right? But social media became this place of contests where they had to pretend that they were better than they really were. And there's some real danger in that. I think that, yeah. that to go back to our original conversation is social media is a very, very, it's, it's how we want people to perceive us. Not, not the, you know, you never saw the deep dark things that I yelled at my daughter, you know, in our arguments on, mm-hmm. on Facebook. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know? like a, um, full Alec Baldwin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and, and so it's a, it, it, it feeds that same weird thing in our head that tells us we're not worthy or we're not this or we're not that. When you're sitting there on Facebook and you're just seeing everybody around you is doing so much better than you are. Yeah. Well, they're pretending to. And they're pretending. Mm-hmm. It's all fake, you know? That's I, I, I final question for you, and then we'll start wrapping up. But uh, do, do you see, and I've noticed a huge, huge change in my brain since I, I got a smartphone in 2010. And this past Saturday or this past Sunday, I put my phone in, uh, in the bathroom. Yeah. Because I said, all right, reasonably, I'll be in the bathroom every two to four hours two to six hours, uh, let me go in there and I'll check it there. I read like half or uh, almost an entire book. Yeah. You know, almost, I read over 100 pages. Yep. And I, I, it was nice. To, and this entire week, I've just not been checking social media, having conversations with my phone, like making an active effort to put it down. And it's nice. And the people that I talk to that cut out social media – feel better about their life. Like, do you see in the future, in the short-term future, I do, but I'd, I'd be interested to hear what you think. Do you see an exodus from smartphones and from social media and from just being hyper-connected? Like, is that is that honeymoon kind of over with the technology? I, I think it's going to be a lot like vacations were with work. You know, at one, at, at one time in the United States, people didn't go on vacation, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they... They just took some time off to be with their family, replant the garden, you know, and they were back to work on right. Monday. They worked in the city yeah. and, and they were in a tenant house yeah. with yeah. three other families. And yeah. then they got a train so yeah. they could go to the weekend once a year to see their family for Christmas. Yeah. And so I, and I think that's what I see it, you know, kind of becoming is that uh, I think more and more people, I, I'm still, I'm still the guy that as soon as I wake up in the morning, I turn off my alarms and I check Facebook and I mm-hmm. check Twitter stories to see what, what Trump said yeah. so I can laugh at it. <laughs> right. You know, I, I don't not, know why he'd call me short. <laughs> yeah. I'd never call him I'm short. I'm that guy, that. but um, 
but then I immediately go start reading. I read every morning, mm. you know, and I take the dog out, you know, to do his business. And um, what's funny is it, everybody always says to me, man, you are online like 24 seven. And it is so not true. Yeah. It's that I have six podcasts and I have, a, you know, the a couple publications that I'm writing for. And all of those are trickling data into social media. Yeah. So it looks like I'm there all day. And your algorithm is showing Doug hours later. It happens to me all the time, yeah. too. I'm like, no, I'm really offline most of the day. Yeah. But, like, yeah, my post is popping up. Yeah, and so usually for me, it's 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock. I go get in a Facebook fight, you know, <laughs> and piss everybody off, you know. And then and then, and then, then the other, the other thing that I, I would really recommend people do, and I've been doing this lately, too, is I, I did a I was doing a hashtag called Good People for a long time, and um and I don't know if it's still showing up or not, uh, but I was forcing myself. I was actually seeing a a, a, a hypnotist uh, who was helping me like uh, helping me relax and um, helping me with weight loss. He really helped me too. I lost like sixty pounds with him, and then I stopped, of course, and gained it back. Um, but one of the things that he had me do was every single night when I went home. He had me do a, a gratitude, and it was basically at the end of the day, I had to think about three people, a past, present, you know, it didn't matter, a stranger, you know, whatever, that I was appreciative for and why. And, and, um, and it's amazing how that twists your brain. Yeah. Like you, you go from, just got home. There's no food in the house or, you know, with you, it's a cat's meowing or, you know, or, <laughs> right. you know, whatever, what the hell's on Netflix? I've watched everything, you know, um, uh, why aren't yeah. the new Hitler documentaries? <laughs> yeah. You know, instead I was sitting there going, well, I haven't thought about that teacher in like 20 years. She was amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm really thankful for, her. and all of a sudden I got a little bit more pep in my step, you know, as I was walking around and stuff. And so one of the things that I've been doing, even on Facebook is, um, a lot of people, it's really funny. You know how many people have unfollowed you by how many people that haven't seen you talking positively on Facebook? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, yeah. You know, but people are like, oh, yeah, he's in political fights all day. I don't, I, I, maybe <laughs> one every three weeks now, you know, but the rest of the time, I really do try to find some really, I, I'm going through Twitter and going through Facebook, and one of my friends will share something beautiful. And I make it a point to share that. Yeah. And and I really think that that's what people need to do more. It's easy to get caught up in the hate and the anger, especially if your life isn't going the direction that you thought it would or wanted it to. It's easy to start blaming other people. You know, for me with a business, it was I hated the, you know, IRS and regulation and, you know, oh, Obamacare and this and that. Right. The reality was if I just got my ass out there and did a couple more sales, I'd be fine. Shut up. You know? It is. you, Yeah. Like you have to take individual responsibility yeah. and that's libertarian libertarian way. Yeah. yeah. I mean, libertarians have to live the libertarian lifestyle and be good examples of libertarianism yeah. by being individually responsible. And yes, the government is a problem, Yeah. but Al Franken groping a woman is not the, you know, Roy Moore is not the end all be all of all Look, your if, problems. If you really want to change this country's politics and be an incredible libertarian and and really change the direction go start a business and get wealthy yeah and start building power to go do that right that's 
you're not going to get it as an employee. <laughs> I think not, people have to be know? really intentional with hitting send too. I think, yeah. and I've been thinking a lot about that lately too, where every single tweet, comment, Facebook post is a choice. Yes. You know, yeah. and I do a lot of that. It's I, a choice. I write it. And then I don't publish I, I, it. I will go back and delete comments and then I'll be in a fight and then somebody will be like, you deleted your comment? I'm like, yeah, I haven't cause... deleted, but I've hovered over the publish button before <laughs> where I just go, no, I'm not going to share that. No, I, I my flare up. I have my dad's temper and I, I hit publish and then I think about it for 30 seconds. I'm like, if I were on the other end of that, I would I would be so mad and that would hurt my feelings. I should undo like I'm a professional communicator. I have no business being mean to people online, but like I think. I love when people sting me though. I, when I get I stung really hard online, I am just like, oh my god, that I, was amazing. I'm too sensitive. Really? I'm so, oh, oh, I implode. I get Man, mad. You I, must be pissed at me all the time. Uh, I no, I get because I know like fundamentally, it's like Rob Kendall. Like Rob Kendall and I go back yeah. every single day, back and forth. Yes. I, fundamentally, I love Rob, but yeah. Rob's also playing a character, and yeah. I love to poke at his character. Yeah. Yeah. Like I know deep down Rob's a decent person, but he's catering to old people because he's got to do what he's got to do to get a you know yeah. get a job. But yeah. <laughs> like I no I I'm much too sensitive if, to be online, and it, and it, it and it's and I just you know I've had to start. I will go back and delete a comment because I'm like you know what that was unnecessary. Yeah, and part of my makeup is that the way that I, when I'm in, when I'm not feeling great about myself or I'm feeling personal pain and stress, one of the best stress relievers is just to be an asshole yeah. and be mean to somebody. And it's a Spangle family trait. Let me tell you, like we go back uh, and I'll show you some of my relatives from Southern Indiana. I and think like America's, you know, on par. Yeah. <laughs> and I just, I think that being mean to a stranger on the internet feels so good sometimes. And it just gets that, it exercises that demon. And I think, it's uh, it's a choice that I've got to look and go, you know what, am I doing this because I, I feel shitty and I want to make somebody else feel shitty? And if I can make them feel shitty and make them feel lower than me, I'm putting I'm ranking myself up. But like at what cost? Like yeah. I'm I'm sacrificing my reputation. I'm sacrificing my my mood for an hour or two. I'm sacrificing their mood for a, an hour to a day or two. Like I'm sacrificing a potential friendship. Like what's the, what's the point of like being mean to somebody? And well, I think that's just, that's you know? that's the critical question. That's why I've I've really really slowed down on on the politics online. Is is am I making people think differently? Yeah. Uh, and and if I if I write it out and I'm about to publish it and I sit there and I ask that question like after I publish this, will anybody think differently? Yeah. Ninety percent of the time it's no. You know, 10% of the time it's, it's, you know, I shared, I shared a story the other day, you know, the, the, I didn't realize that the Congress had a shush fund for sexual harassment. Yeah. Uh, like 15 million bucks. $15 million. You know, to so, people. Yeah. you know, so I put out, you know, I, I said, if you think government is serious about sexual harassment, read this, you know, and, and, uh, the people that responded were both sides of the aisle, everything, you know, and, and nobody said anything shitty you know, everybody was just kind of shocked because they, you know, they right. had never read that before. And I and I and so that's like one that I said, OK, I'm going to be snarky, but people should really know that this exists. And 
a lot of people in my feed had no clue, you know? And so that changed people's, you know, perspectives a little bit. But most of the time I look at it and I go, I'm, you know, I have a couple of trolls. I have, I have, uh, you know, um, Joe Shoemaker, you know, he's, he's like wicked troll on me. Mm -hmm. And, um, and he can be, whoo, he can be just me. I though I've got and, those people too, like John Ulrich. Like I know fundamentally John's a good guy, yeah. but every time I see John pop up in my notifications, like, yeah. is this gonna be the time I block this asshole? <laughs> you know, like I met him and we get along in person, but like, on, like Dorn Brenton, yeah, Joe, Joe's like a really nice guy, he's a yeah. good realtor, everything else, but but he can he he will go from zero to one hundred percent slicing my throat with yep. a with a comment in no time and. And, uh, and so I, and now I have fun the opposite way. Like I disarm, you know, he throws that out and I instantly throw a disarm out. Like, Joe, come on. Like Rob Kendall and I do that. And like, we didn't talk for like a period of three or four months because he just pissed me off too bad one day. And like, (laughs) and I just, I I had to go like, Rob's not really being, you know, like it's in, because it was just, it was a rough period of my time, my life, but yeah, like. If it happens during campaigns too, yeah, like I always feel so bad when I hear people say like, "Yeah, my aunt and I aren't speaking anymore," or because it's not like it is serious. Like well, libertarians politics. really do have a lot of morning time during campaigns. We have a lot of like we yeah we lose a lot, but like I'm, just yeah. sorry, I didn't mean to sting you. All right, final thoughts. <laughs> I gotta Let's get, get out of here. I gotta topic. go. Yeah. <laughs> No, I, it is. It's just sad. Like, it's, you don't have to take it all so seriously. It, it, it is. It's well, serious business, but you don't have to take it so seriously. At the, at the, you know, the, I always tell people, what what's in your life that you can change, right? And it's, you know, Trump, uh, Obama, whoever is in Washington isn't really impacting my life that much. Yeah. It's just not. You know, that's the thing is, do I do I want government to retreat and do I want more of a libertarian approach and constitutional approach. Absolutely. Because I, I do think about my kids and their grandkids and everything else. But today I can choose to be happy. I can choose to ignore people online that are shitty. I can go read a nice book or watch a positive story. I can sit out in my backyard and think about three things that I really, three people I really appreciated and I can go to bed in a happy mood. Yeah. I think it's because I can choose yeah. That's my choice. But know? I think it's also because you've you, your identity isn't wrapped up into your politics and I think there's and I certainly have had this like when I got when I when I left the Libertarian Party of Indiana I had spent 4 years being the libertarian in yeah. the state like my whole identity was Libertarian Party of Indiana like that my burn you out. my job, my politics, my marriage was on the rocks. So like I wasn't happy about uh, you know, I didn't have a good family life. Like my identity was libertarian. Yeah. And so when people attacked the Libertarian Party of Indiana, it was very personal. Yeah. And now when, you know, when I, when people attack libertarianism or the Libertarian Party or the, you know, Republican politicians like Rand Paul that I like, I just don't take it as seriously because, you know, my identity has brought has expanded. I'm I'm a Christian. I'm a libertarian. I'm an uncle. I'm yeah. a son. I'm a, an employee at a place that I love to work. Like I'm a friend to all these different people. It's like 
you you can have friends and family and people move in and out of your life and your life isn't destroyed like i can go through a breakup now and yeah. my it's cuz my identity isn't my Tied. worth and identity isn't all wrapped up in that thing and i think there's too many people in polit online talking politics where their identity is too closely identified with like where they feel like it's a personal attack like if i don't like donald trump it doesn't mean that i don't like you well that's i always with me it's really funny because you know i'm I would have much rather had an incredible candidate to vote for in the last election, you know, but I, I always joke with people like the, the funny thing is people on the left always instantly, you know, say, well, you Republicans. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not a Republican. So right. I agree with you, yeah. you know, and the people on the right are always like, you liberal bastard. Right. You know? And I'm like, yeah, well, I'm not, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm always like, I, we, it's again, we paint this picture in our head of that is the demon child spawned from hell right. that I have to lash out at. And it's my job to slay the dragon. You yeah. know, no, it's not chill out. Let him go. <laughs> all right. Final thoughts. How can final thoughts for all of this conversation? And then also how can people get in touch with you? Well, I, I mean, the big thing is I, I, I do think look out for something to happen down the, you know, the Facebook monopoly kind of line, YouTube, Facebook, Reddit, you know, whatever they're, they're playing a, a really, really dangerous game right now. Right. And and uh, and when when the audience leaves, that's when the money leaves, right? And that's when these things collapse overnight. And uh, and I I'm I just wouldn't be surprised. It might not be for a year. It might not be for five years. But these guys are getting such huge monolithic companies that are single-minded that it's destined for failure. Yeah. It's destined. And somebody else will pop up that's more agile, that has better technology, that we'll have more fun with online, and uh, and just make the plunge when that happens. That, that's why I I love adopting new. You know, I don't care. Like, was it Gab out now and, mm -hmm. and stuff is like a you know. A, well, like Twitch is owned by Amazon, yeah. so Amazon has the server space to handle right. a competitor play. For it's primarily gaming, but if but they were to if they were to make a consumer move, oh, they are. They're uh, yeah, it's coming. Yeah, they're, they're going to make a huge move, and uh, and again, and and go support those. Right. If you if you think Facebook and Google and Twitter are being assholes, look, go move over. It, it'll be good to have competition because guess what? Once there's competition and they have to battle over the dollar, they'll quit messing with us. Yeah, they'll quit messing with everybody, and it'll be a free place. You know. All right, Doug, thanks for joining me. Thanks for your time. Thank you, man. All right, cool. Cool deal. Welcome to We Are Libertarians. I am Chris Spangle. I'm the host. And joining me on the line is Kara Schultz, the candidate recruitment specialist for the Libertarian Party. Kara, how are you doing tonight? Very good. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, it's very exciting to talk to you. I, I My personal philosophy is that the job of a national and a state and a local party is to recruit, recruit, recruit both leaders and candidates. So it's nice to see the National Libertarian Party uh, take that step. And I will say under Nick Sarwark, the national office has been making many great strides. Uh, and yeah, you're, I yeah, you're, I bet. <laughs> and under your addition, this is an exciting step. So can you explain to people what a candidate recruitment specialist is? Sure. So a candidate recruitment specialist, what I do is I uh, talk with libertarians who are interested in running for, for office, 
uh, kind of assess their needs and where they're at, and then try to connect them to resources and also connect them with their state party if they have not already done that so that they can get assistance at the local level as well. Uh, just try to make the whole process as smooth as possible for them to get on the ballot and get their campaign started and underway. And then I also help states. Um, so the state uh, chapters, you know, I work with either their chair or their, their candidate recruitment person or their political director and see what they need to be able to recruit more candidates and be able to support more candidates as well. So kind of, I have uh, two missions going on at the same time. Cool. We'll, we'll dive into those a little bit, but I want to, I want to learn a little bit about you first. Where, uh, what is your libertarian story? Where'd you come from? I came from the Gary Johnson campaign. So in uh, the 2012 campaign, um, and, you know, and I was a Ron Poller before then, but I was a Ron Poller, mm-hmm. which is different at times from being involved with the Libertarian Party itself. Sure. Um, but I joined the Libertarian Party through working on the Gary Johnson campaign. I heard him on the radio, thought he was the only person I was definitely going to vote for. And so I volunteered to help on his campaign um, and his campaign needed a little, little more assistance in Minnesota. And uh, then I was called and they said, oh, by the way, you're, you're now directing the campaign in Minnesota. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, really? Well, okay then. Um, and, you know, we pulled it together and frankly, we kicked ass. And we did really well in Minnesota, and I joined with the Libertarian Party itself at that point, and I've been going full bore with the party ever since. So how did you end up getting the job at the National Party? Nepotism. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) You're you're Nick's cousin, aren't you? Right, exactly. (laughs) No, you know, I... I saw that they were looking for a candidate specialist. So, you know, they weren't specifying at that point, they had the position that you were recruiting candidates and then also assisting them through their campaign itself, you know, start to finish. And, you know, I thought, geez, that is as close to a dream job description as I've ever seen. (laughs) You know, that's, that's exactly what I want to do and what I've been trying to do, you know, get more libertarians to run for office and help them during their campaign. So to be able to do this on a national level is is amazing. And when they interviewed me for the position, I told them, whether I get this position or you give it to another candidate, I am just so excited. I can't hardly stand it. I'm so happy that the party is ready to take this step. Um, and they did split the position into two, which I think was very smart of them. So I handle the recruitment and getting them onto the ballot and getting them started. And then we will have a candidate campaign specialist that will select um, certain campaigns that we think we can be really competitive in or that will be especially prominent. And they will assist them to make sure that they run the best campaign possible. 
That's really smart. That's really uh, great to hear because I'm of the mindset that the Libertarian Party, as good as ballot access is, and I don't disagree that the National Party's job is to get ballot access, the candidate side of things for the National Libertarian Party, and I've been around for 10 years, has really been anemic at the national level. And we're fortunate here in Indiana to have a very uh, robust party that has a lot of institutional knowledge, people who have been involved for 40 years. Uh, yeah. So, and not every state has that. You do have a lot of turnover at some of these new states. So, oh, when, yeah. when you're talking to some of these state parties, I mean, what are they? What are they asking for? What are you finding as you talk to state libertarian parties? You know, it's really running the gamut. Uh, we do have some states where their leadership is extremely new, and uh, they they don't have a lot of base to draw on, both in knowledge. Um, you know, they've had a big turnover. Or, you know, they're kind of reinventing themselves um, or they're an emerging state and they need help from square one. How do I recruit candidates? What should I be asking them? Um, once someone says they want to be a candidate, what do I do next? So, so I am assisting some states at that level. And then there's other states where they have everything going full bore. They're doing really excellent. So the types of things they're asking me for are a little higher level. They're getting into um, discussions of when we're sending emails to prospective candidates, how do I increase the open and red rate? How do I increase the response rate? How often should I contact them? You know, so we're getting into like smaller, minute things with them just to increase their effectiveness. Sure. Um, but one project that I'm working on that I'm, I'm, and when you're talking about institutional knowledge and being able to pass that on, that is something I'm working really, really hard on. I want to make sure that if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, someone can step into my job and they will have the entire base of knowledge to keep building on. So there's, there's two areas that we're fleshing out right now. Um, number one, um, I just finished the candidate workbook. So the candidate workbook will take people through from A to Z on how to do a campaign. And it's in workbook format, so they go through it and you fill in the blanks. And it tells you exactly what to look for, what to do, step by step. It's still fairly basic. I think it's around, well, minus the appendix, about 50 pages, 50, 60 pages right in there. So it's still pretty basic, but it's focused on the unique challenges that libertarian candidates have. Right. And we'll be fleshing that out as we get feedback from our candidates and our campaign managers. And as other libertarians become aware of this workbook and say, you know, I have a really great section on fundraising. Can I send you that so you can put it in the workbook so that we can have all of this together and it lives on and keeps getting built upon. And we're not having candidates reinvent the wheel, every candidate, every state. If um, the other thing that we're working on is uh, we're working on a CRM program that states can use. This way, we don't have data in 50 different places. Um, we aren't, please, please, hopefully soon, not trading Excel spreadsheets. Anymore. <laughs> That's what they said in 1989. <laughs> <laughs> but I, it's so it's so right on, yeah. We start testing on 
Wednesday. Wednesday. So we start testing this on Wednesday with, I believe, five states. So this information we will have, um, it will be a CRM program that actually works within their website, works with national, and it will work really well for candidate recruitment as well because as people are interested, um, we can follow their progress right along and people don't get you know, lost in the shuffle. There's always someone paying attention to where they are in the process and the help they need, whether that's myself stepping into a system, whether that's the campaign specialist, someone else at national, their regional rep, or whether that is um, their state political director. Okay, so let, I, I solicited some questions for you from our Facebook page. Um, some I of, like red wine. Yeah, some of them are very thoughtful. Other of, other of them, uh, can we get rid of pesky roads? Uh, why are you a statist? Uh, just tell her she's not a real libertarian, see how she reacts. So some of those questions, but some of these are thoughtful. Let's start with Dan Montgomery. He asks, can you give me one reason why I should run as a libertarian candidate? I can actually give several reasons why someone should run as a libertarian candidate. First of all, it's a message that needs to get out there, that there are alternatives that people can look at, a different way of thinking about things. And this way of thinking, you know, what we talk about as libertarian philosophy is a very engaged, caring, peaceful philosophy. And that's something that people are crying out for. Um, They're a little resistant at first because it is different, but we need to get that message out there. So if you run, if for no other reason than other people hear your message and they start thinking differently about things, they start along that path of non-aggression. They start along that path of, you know, interacting with each other for solutions rather than just hoping, you know, daddy government takes care of it and they don't have to. So that's one reason. But the other reason is you might win. I won my election. I am an elected official as a libertarian. It took me two runs, but I got it done. What and I am making lasting changes in my community, and I have completely changed the dynamic on the city council that I serve on. That's cool. What office did you win? I am city council for Burnsville, Minnesota. We're about 60,000 people, and we're in the Twin Cities area, so not a small town. How did you, how did you get elected? Explain to the people how you won your election. I knocked every door. Every door. I knocked 22,000 doors. That's how I won my election. The other way that I won my election is I listened to people instead of telling them. And I was able to give them what libertarian philosophy was in a way that they could easily understand it. And I didn't argue with people. Um, I wasn't trying to, you know, win a debate. Uh, what I did was find out what they cared about and worked with that. But really, it was knocking 22,000 doors. Imagine that, listeners. Interpersonal, interpersonal communication skills and hard work. It's almost like she's been listening to the show. 
Uh, right? That's really all it takes is is just some hard work and treat people with kindness and respect and you'll win. So, um, yeah. what Matthew Healy writes, what prior experience and credentials are possessed by the most successful candidates? You know, you don't have to possess credentials to be a successful candidate. You hit on what you need to be a successful candidate. You need to be willing to go all in on it. You have to put everything you have into it. You have to be willing that even when you are feeling crappy and it's raining and it's you know 40 degrees out, you're still gonna knock on doors for eight hours. And the next day on a, on a weekend night, you worked all day, you're gonna do it for four hours. And then you're going to write thank you notes for two hours when you get home. And then you're going to prep your your sheets for an hour after that. That's what you're going to do. You have to have good interpersonal skills and you have to care about people. And you can't, well, you can fake it, but not many people can fake it. Clinton could fake it. He was good at that. That's a skill. Most of us can't do that. And other people know if you care or you don't care, they can tell. But the other thing is, you got to fundraise. You got to have money. Now, I am not a wealthy person. It's not like I could just self fund. You got to fundraise. All right. So, Kyle O'Neill asks What is the LP doing to specifically combat the notion that voting anything other than Dem or Republican for a larger election is a lost cause and a wasted vote? Now, I know that this is not your specific scope, uh, but I'm sure as you were talking to people, as you were recruiting candidates, the wasted vote syndrome, I'm sure is something that you run into a lot. So how do you how do you answer that question? If I run, am I wasting my time because I'm going to lose anyways? Well, first of all, if you run, you haven't wasted your time unless you decided to do nothing. Then you might have wasted your time. But as to the question, um, the, you know, the wasted vote syndrome, that is starting to change. And I think we're going to see that change more and more on the larger tickets. But first, we have to have candidates willing to consistently get on the ballot. What needs to happen is, is a couple things. First of all, voters need to regularly see a libertarian line on the ballot. When things are printed in an official form, suddenly they're real and they're valid. That's just how people work. The other thing that we need to do is we need to run serious campaigns and we need to get included in debates. Televised debates, um, you know, whether that's, you know, all the way up to, you know, U.S. Senate you need to be included in those debates. And we need to raise hell until we get our candidates included in those debates. If you're not running a serious campaign, don't expect them to include you in the debate. If you're running a serious campaign, you're still gonna have to fight very hard to get included. When those two things start happening with more regularity, that will break the, I have to vote for this or this. Now, uh, 
I think Paul is alluding to a certain Senate race currently, but uh, Paul Robbins Jr. asks, what sort of vetting process do we have for candidates, specifically to look at any potential criminal history that ultimately may damage the campaign and the party? That depends on the state. For some states, the party has has absolutely nothing they can do if if a candidate gets on the ballot and puts libertarian or whatever next to their name there's nothing there's nothing you can do we have no legal recourse whatsoever we can't screen them we can't do anything about them if they fulfill the requirements of their state they're on other states they have to be signed off on by the state party and unless the state party you know signs off on them then they're not allowed. State chapters work independently. So there may be a case where a state signs off on a candidate, perhaps national wouldn't, or vice versa. That could happen as well. Those are things that we're going to have to face on a case-by-case basis. Yeah, the the Indiana State Party, um, so my goal in 2010, when I was the executive director of the state party, full-time executive director, and my job was to recruit candidates, and we had a goal of two uh, of uh, 100 people on the ballot, and we, we met that goal. Uh, I think only Texas surpassed us that year. They were very strong that year, um, but we got darn close, uh, considering they're so much bigger. And right. we ran a lot of great candidates, and we had a lot of not great candidates. And we had one instance where the local alternative news magazine called Nuvo, our alternative weekly, put out a voter's guide, and I maybe a quarter of our candidates actually filled the thing out, and one mm-hmm. of them had a headshot. And like this is a oh. core, you, you know, in an alternative weekly, that's a core audience. And so they yes. they just embarrassed us and instead of putting because none of them had headshots they just put yep. JC Penny models so we had so right. i went to the central committee that that next year and i said you know running a bunch of candidates isn't always a great strategy because we're getting mocked by by outlets that should you know and and voters that should be natural allies of ours so in 2012 we put together a candidate vetting form and asked everybody to fill out this form. It was very basic information, just like a job application, some very simple answers about basic philosophy. And uh, then I made those documents available to everyone at the state convention so they could read those. And mm-hmm. we, we implemented one key thing, which was the, the candidate had to have two party officers, either county chair or state party officer, like a state central committee member or the chair, sign their their document and uh that way at least two people in the room knew and had had a conversation with that person because so often in the libertarian party uh, the sad reality is somebody shows up to the state convention they go you're up go ahead and that happened they didn't use the vetting form in 2016 and we had a guy who tried fusion he was using us and the republicans to sue the Supreme Court of Indiana for fusion voting, which is you can run on two parties. We don't have that here, and we don't want to be a part of that. So in 2018 and beyond, the state central committee has actually adopted that as an official policy moving forward, which is great. 
And that's one way that she's Kara's right. It's really up to the local party to vet candidates because it's extremely expensive to do a lot of background checks. The the Republicans and Democrats a lot of times don't do background checks. It's based on who who works their way up. So it, it, for those state parties and local parties out there, I would recommend contacting the LPIN or going to their website for that candidate vetting form and then instituting that in your local area because it is it's important to know who's running and those documents there were some people that just they they turned in some crazy socialist stuff and I just seemed to lose their paperwork uh <laughs> you know but then the, the uh, everybody else at the convention uh got a chance to read all of what they thought <laughs> you know I was more organized as a state office because I had everybody's information we we made headshots a mandatory thing and a website. We hooked them up with a website and headshot day. So these are just some of the basic things. And that's, I mean, are there requirements? Are you, how are you handling requirements? Because as the national party, it's not really your job to dictate to local parties what they can or can't do. But what are some of the requirements or recommendations that you make for first-time candidates? You know, Mainly, I want to know if someone is a first-time candidate, you know, if they've never run as a candidate at all, and also, um, they or, you know, they've never run as a libertarian before. Uh, and then that's information that I note, because um, as we get people who express interest, or I talk to them and they express interest, I do get a little bit of information from them. But really, I try to connect them to their state party as soon as possible. And then I do note, you know, this is the new candidate. You know, they've not run before. Um, and then that should be the state party's cue to take a closer look and also know that this person is probably going to need a little more assistance. I know that libertarians get a little touchy when a candidate runs that they, you know, may have an issue with their past or they have problematic stances on certain issues. And they say, oh, geez, you know, we just don't have our crap together. Look at the headlines any given day for Republicans and Democrats. Judge Moore, I'm looking at you. They have their issues, too. This is not unique to our party. It's it's not anything different. And they have far more infrastructure, money, time, everything in place, and they're not able to do it. So just have the understanding that we're all humans. <laughs> Things like this are going to happen. But do your best to put processes in place to do the best job that you can. You want great quality candidates, and you want to be able to support those candidates. Yeah, absolutely. So what are some of the questions that are asked by first-time candidates? You know, first-time candidates, they have a ton of questions. You know, they want to know, how do I file? Um, what do I need to do to get on the ballot? Um, should I be throwing up my website right now? Who do I talk to? You know, they want to know absolutely everything because many of them just have this idea. They want to run. They haven't investigated it very much. They kind of have an idea. And many of them aren't sure which office they're going to run for. They have an idea but they're also open to other suggestions. And this is also where state parties can help guide these first-time candidates. 
sometimes after talking with a candidate and you find out the issues that they're passionate about, you realize that the race that they're planning to run is at the wrong level because the issues that they are interested in aren't impacted at that level. You know, whether they're looking at running as a, you know, a statewide candidate or federal level or local level, you need to help guide your candidates into the proper level office that would work for them. So that's a way that they can really assist their first time candidates. They're looking for everything from how do I fundraise? Um, how the heck am I going to win this, this election? There's, you know, um, 40,000 people in my town. I, I can't talk to every single person. How do I get this down to a manageable number? And so, you know, you start to have the conversations with them about, you know, targeting likely voters, things like that. So they have every question, every question. But <laughs> it, it, it is, it's so funny when you're a first time candidate. I mean, I probably dealt with a couple hundred those four years. Like, I, I noticed two things about first time candidates, and they're just really kind of, to me, insecurities that uh, are easily overcome once you just start the process. First, mm-hmm. they didn't want to embarrass libertarianism. They didn't feel like they knew enough about the philosophy, and they didn't want to make other the uh, other people look bad uh, that they you know that they're you know in the foxhole with. Secondly, they didn't feel like they had enough knowledge on how to run a campaign, and uh, there's a lot of great material out there on how to run for office, both within the Libertarian Party when without now, especially in the internet age. Uh, yeah. You know, and it's great to have just, I don't know, a Sherpa like yourself to kind of help those people. And I would just say, if you're thinking about running for office, uh, you're you're not going to regret it, but you're going to regret it. <laughs> you're going to have days where you just go, I don't know why I did this. But every fall, when that weather changes, you're going to go, oh, I wish I were knocking on doors again, because it is a ton of fun. I mean, it is. would you do, I mean, would you disagree? I mean... It, it is one running for office. What were what was your experience running for office like? So much hard work, but so great. You meet so many incredible people, and I, and I have made lasting friendships through my runs for office. And you know, when I was out door knocking, and, and many people are a little concerned about door knocking. You know, what's the reception going to be? You know, are people going to be mean to them? No, for the most part, people are exceptionally kind. I mean, here you are. You've just randomly shown up on their doorstep. They're probably eating dinner. Um, you're, I mean, like they didn't wake up that morning going, gee, you know what I wish would happen to me today? I <laughs> wish a candidate would knock on my door. Right. That didn't happen. Um, and yet, when you knock on their door, most of them are very polite. Um, they do want you to get to the point. So I'll give you that hint. Um, but they're really interested and willing to take some time with you because they do, they do want to do a good job at the polls, you know? So the fact that you showed up means a lot to them because most, most candidates will not, they will not knock on their door. Um, and they want to find out more about you, but even more than your positions, they're judging you as a person. Um, but it was very, it was very interesting. 
you know, you hear some really amazing stories. I met people who had bought their home well, they had had it built. And here we are in a major metropolitan area in their life. And they were telling me about when they built their home and it was a gravel road and what that was like and the changes that have happened to the to the city. So hearing stories like that is pretty amazing. So the other thing that I found is that some some people, they want to start big. <laughs> yeah, they do. And uh, I mean, if somebody wants to run for office, but they're not sure where or even if they're thinking about starting big, I mean, where do, where do you try to push people? You know, I really try to um, gauge where their interests lie and then have them go in that direction and also understand what their uh, what their frustration level is. And by that, I mean, if they shoot for the moon and they run for governor, if they aren't elected, are they going to rage quit <laughs> everything? <laughs> you know, because if, if that's the case, we don't want to burn someone out. We don't want to burn someone that has a lot of energy and enthusiasm. You know, you, you don't want to burn them out on something like that. Um, so, you know, you try to assess that as well. Um But really, it's, you know, it's it's just trying to help them find their spot. That's really what you're trying to do. Sure. And make that work for them. Yeah, I've always recommended run for a local race. But there are some people, they just, they couldn't be, they couldn't be less interested in local politics. And they want to run for national right. office. Yeah, and they're, yeah, they just, they have no interest. In, and that's fine. Yeah. You know, and other people, after you talk to them, you know, and also once you explain the extreme level of power that local offices hold over everyone's daily life, they get very interested in running for local office. And I do suggest to states as well as candidates, take a look at your local offices, not just mayor or city council. There are other positions like water commissioner. There is land and soil. You know, there are positions like that that oftentimes there is no challenger for. And sometimes there's no one on the ballot at all for that for that office. And if a libertarian was on the line, you win by default. So take a look at those types of offices and realize that those offices, especially those hidden ones, have an immense amount of power. Immense. Yeah, I think it's a great idea for every Libertarian Party person, uh, or even, I mean, if you're a Republican Party person or a Democratic Party person or an independent-minded person listening to this, if you're a citizen, go to your county clerk's office and mm -hmm. ask ask for what, what will be up for election in the next cycle or the next two cycles if they have it prepared. Get to know your county clerk. County clerks usually are completely mystified on Libertarian Party uh, election <laughs> law, uh, which is why yes. you need your state party to be really good friends with your Indiana State Election Division, because when the clerks don't do the things the right way, then you need the election division to call and police them a little bit. Um, yep. But, 
Yeah, find out what offices are available. So when somebody contacts you and says, I want to run for an office, well, here's the list of offices that are up. And that's something that Indiana's <laughs> always posted is here are the, you know, we know we have township trustee board positions up this year. And this right. is the most local office you can run for. And if you you only have to knock on 1,500 doors and you can do that in the summer. Like, so th- that's one thing that I think that local people can do, both parties, county chairs, just regular people. You may be a libertarian out there not realizing that there's going to be an office that will go unfilled and a party will, f- the Democrats or Republicans will fill it. And you could have been elected to it had you done a little due diligence this December or January. So I think that's yeah. a great point is go check out what is available and and see if you can't get yourself elected. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, and go ahead. You can do go it ahead. through hard work. Those ones you can absolutely do through hard work. Yeah. When you've got 1500 doors, you can knock those three times. Absolutely. And you're talking about raising two or three hundred bucks for the printed yep. flyers. I mean, we're not talking about uh, rocket surgery here. Uh, no. <laughs> Mike Tron. No, absolutely. So there's two types of sales. There's the inbound sales, somebody sitting on a phone answering uh, the inbound, and then there's the outbound salesperson that goes out and drives around and tries to get new business. And that's kind of what Mike is asking. Uh, do you often look outside the party for candidates, or are you strictly recruiting from within? And I know you've got a goal of 2,000 candidates this year, so how – how are you going to find those 2,000 candidates? Uh, yes. So, yep, I am answering inbound calls. <laughs> so that is definitely one thing I'm doing. Um, yeah, so we are looking primarily within the party, you know, whether they are a national party member or they are a state party member. But we're also looking at people who just simply don't know they're libertarians yet. They are. They just haven't quite realized it yet but they're on that path towards liberty and so we're you know we're talking to them and assisting them along the way um and it may be and for some of them um they have talked to either republicans or the democrats about running for office and those parties rejected them because of their stances on certain issues and that's when they realized well dang i always thought i was a Republican or a Democrat, but I'm not. So what the heck am I? And that's when they're realizing that, no, they really are a libertarian. And then they're starting to, you know, either contact us or we're hearing about them and we're contacting them. Well, speaking of which, how do people contact you if they want to run for office? They can uh, email me, which is my name, Kara, C-A-R-A dot Schultz, S-C-H-U-L-Z, at LNC dot org. That is the probably the best way to get a hold of me. Or you can always hit me up on Facebook. I'm always on Facebook. I try to keep it up all the time. I get a lot of messages through there. You need to get you need to get like a cam candidates at LP because <laughs> there's so many mis, different misspellings. That's C-A-R-A dot S-C. H U L Z. Yeah. At, and if they hit the candidates at lnc.org, they're going to get me too. Awesome. There we go. Yeah. So, yeah, be sure to get in touch with Kara. I'm going to I'm going to let you finish with uh your elevator pitch. Give us your best pitch on why somebody should run as a libertarian party candidate. 
people should run as a libertarian candidate because they can get that message of liberty out there to people. They can get it out there to a wider number of people than they can do just ranting on Facebook or posting tweets on Twitter. And they can do it in a way that affects policy. Whether they're elected or not, their conversation will affect policy in their area. And you never know. You could get elected. Yeah, it's not impossible. And like you said, you you try, you had to run twice. And uh, I think I, I met with a candidate recently and I said, you know, you should really plan on running two or three times for this office. Yeah. And it's totally possible to win, but it may take you two or three cycles and you have to be engaged in your community and then you can win. It's not impossible. Absolutely. Most candidates do not win their first election. And I don't care if you're a libertarian, a Republican, a Democrat, it doesn't matter. Most of them do not win the first time they run for office. That's just how it is. All right. Thank you so much for joining me, Kara. Again, candidates at LNC.org. You bet. All right. Hit her up. Thanks so much for watching here on We Are Libertarians. Uh, you can find more about us at wearelibertarians.com. And we will talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Get our other shows at wearelibertarians.com.